All right, we're here again with Coach Doug Gallion from Santo High School. Uh, Coach Gallion had an unbelievable relationship with the late, great uh, Don Meyer. And uh, Coach Meyer, for young coaches maybe that don't uh, know his story, uh, you can just type in his name. You can go to his, his website that's still run, uh, www.coachmeyer.com. Uh, unbelievable resource for, for any coach uh, or anybody in any leadership position. And, uh, you know, I, I know for Coach Gallion and myself, it's uh, for him, it's really personal. For me, uh, it's just something that I think as a, as a coach who uh, professes to be a Christian, uh, it's something that I, I need to look at more often. And so, Coach Gallion, why don't you just tell me a little bit about maybe your relationship with Coach Meyer, how it got started, and then uh, we can dive into some of the uh, philosophy. Okay, I uh, appreciate the chance to uh, – yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Coach Meyer's website because it is unbelievable. There's there's an encyclopedia of, of basketball, free handouts, uh, as Coach Meyer liked to call it. Um, the, the Brent Newton developed the website, and, and he uh, he wanted to have, like, professional development or something – and Coach Meyer said, just call it free handouts. Everybody likes free stuff. But, <laughs> um, Coach was Coach was really special, and, and there would be times that talk about him, and it's hard not to get emotional because uh, he, he, he was a great mentor and, and wound up being a great friend and, and supporter. But uh, he's still missed by all of us. But Amen. I got to know him back really back in the 80s. I went to uh, – I went. that's a long story, but I went to – work a basketball camp at Nickel State with Tommy Collins, who was the head coach at Cisco Junior College, and I was a young coach at Ranger High School. Uh-huh. And uh, one of his former players was a, an assistant at Nickel State, and uh, so we worked. We were in the same. We worked the same gym with with Dan Bell, that's this coach, and Dan was teaching shooting, and and he taught it in such a really understandable way, and. It was. It just made sense to me. And so, after he got through with his lesson, and we had a break, I was asking him about where he where he got his stuff from. He said, "Oh, it's this guru." He said, "You, <laughs> I've got to get you contact info for him." He's at he's at David Lipscomb in Nashville. His name's Don Meyer. And this was back in the day that, that everybody, most people listening to this won't have any concept of this. But the only way you could get a hold of people at that time was there were toll free eight hundred numbers to keep from having to make a long-distance phone call on a landline. <laughs> and, and you wrote letters and, and actually put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and mailed it, and waited you know, a couple of weeks before a response. Anyway, that's how I got started. And, and Coach, I started calling and just getting information. And, and then uh, wound up going to work in camp, wound up going to the academy and, and got to know him in that way. Right. Um, well, and, uh, in 2009, or two, actually in 2008, I called him and said, what would it take for you to uh, come to Eastland? I was at Eastland High School at the time to, to do a clinic, and he said, I'll do it for this. It was not hardly anything. <laughs> so, well, let's do it. And and so, but then he had his car accident, and he lost his leg, and he found out he had cancer, and all those things happened. And he's you know, he's right on the brink of breaking Coach Knight's all-time win record. And 
and he wound up doing it that year. But anyway, we, he wound up coming anyway. That was his very first clinic that he did uh-huh. um, after his accident. And so it was real meaningful to him that that many coaches were there. We had over 100 coaches there. He, man, he had a ball. And and then he, so he came back in 2011 and then was scheduled to do it in 2013, had some health issues and came back in 2014. Yeah. And, uh, the clinic in 2000, April of 2014 wound up being his very last clinic that he did Yeah. Um, before he passed away in May. So yeah. um, great guy. Um, the most valuable times to me were I would pick him up. I'd pick him and Carmen up at the airport, DFW. And so it was about a two-hour drive from, from there to Eastland. So I had him captive in a, in a <laughs> for two hours and, and got to, you know, just – grilling with questions and and of course as a as a continual teacher he was he was always teaching me and 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 grilling me with questions as well so those two hours to and from the airport were uh, uh, really priceless moments um just a couple of things I, I was there at that last clinic and I, I knew his health was kind of waning there at the end and um one thing that i i, I took a ton of notes obviously and i remember uh, the the clinic itself, but uh, there were there were breaks within his talk where he would stop and pray, and yeah. every every time he prayed that last clinic, and he had done that in the past in in other clinics, but every time he prayed at this last clinic, he cried. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, that just kind of showed. I know where his heart was and where his mind was, and uh, you know he. Uh, he knew he was he was having a hard time physically, but uh, you know, and that that really sticks with me. Every time he prayed uh, at that last clinic, he cried. Um, and uh, w- one thing I want to ask you about that drive, that two that two hour drive. How many notes did he take? I mean, he is by far the 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 most notorious note taker in coaching history. So how many notes did he take? How many times did he talk into his dictaphone? I mean. <laughs> he, he actually he actually kept a notepad out, you know, and he would write stuff down, and and he'd use his dictaphone. Um, the uh, the best part, I would have my I, I got I keep a planner uh, because of his influence back in the eighties. You know, I still right. carry one, and and it would be sitting on the console, and as soon as he would get in, he. Like the first time we ever did this in 2009, the first thing he did is we got him settled in and got his wheelchair put in the Suburban and Carmen sat in the back and Coach sat on the passenger side and, and he'd grab my planner and he'd unzip it and he'd just start looking through it. <laughs> and Carmen would, Carmen would be like, Don, he may not want you to look at it. And he said, oh, he knows I'm going to look at it. <laughs> so, uh, he would comment on this and he would tell me, hey, you need to get the call this number and you can get the, the two the the two page monthly deal because it gives you more room and he would show me how to use highlighters to oh, organize yeah. things better and so he was a teacher of deluxe that's absolutely he was a uh he loved the cornell notes didn't he oh yeah <laughs> that was he he loved it uh well cornell notes and, and corny jokes yeah yeah no doubt <laughs> or yeah or potty humor one of the two <laughs> Um, well, uh, I don't, I don't want to go too, too in depth with his, uh, 
you know, with his battle with cancer and, and, you know, how you guys kind of went through some shared suffering. But, uh, I, I do want you to talk a little bit about that shared suffering and how you encouraged each other and how he encouraged you. Well, I don't know coach if I encouraged him a lick, but, um, he was unbelievably encouraging. I, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in December 2012, and and um, I don't know how he found out because I didn't tell him. But some some coaching friend of mine got in touch with him and, and told him yeah. about my diagnosis, and uh, and it wasn't a very good diagnosis to be honest. They they said you know in all ways cancer can behave yours is behaving badly, and so. It's, it's nothing to look good. But anyway, one day Coach called and uh, he said, I heard, I heard you got a bad report from a doctor. I said, oh, yeah, but it's going to be all right. And anyway, he so from that point on, he would call me at least weekly. Yeah. And, and he always, always would end up saying, would you mind if I pray with you? Mm-hmm. And he would say the most beautiful, heartfelt prayer. And, and it kind of touched me because you, you mentioned this earlier about the clinic, but every prayer he, he cried through it as he was talking and praying. But, man, you, you talk about a life breather. You know, I would hang up, and, and I would feel so much better. Um, and he was just such an encourager. And, yeah. And so good at that, and I, I don't know. I I pray that that I encourage him some, but boy, you could never out encourage him. I know that. <laughs> well, I he was encouraged just by being in Eastland, Texas. Uh, <laughs> you know, after being in Aberdeen, where it's you know negative fifteen, I think he I think he enjoyed some sun. Uh, well, uh, you know, we talked about this in our previous podcast about building relationships. And, uh, you know, after watching his clinics, after uh, looking at his uh, his DVDs where you got the, you know, the practice DVDs, I felt like he, he built his relationships by what he did before and after practice. And that's his players had notebooks and notepads and they were taking notes. And he was he was teaching life lessons that translated into how he wanted the game to be played. And his guys had notebooks before games, after games, before practices, after practices, on the bus. And so there was no doubt in any of his players' minds that he cared about them as a person because that's how he showed that he cared about them. And that allowed him to t- to coach his players extremely tough. You want to talk a little bit about that? He was really, really tough on his players. Um in a in a what is a you know now politically incorrect way. I mean, he sure. he was brutal. I, I was fortunate enough to to get uh, to go to the memorial service that they had for him at Lipscomb in Nashville uh, on June first of two thousand fourteen. And former players, there were like five rows of, and then I mean I'm talking about long rows <laughs> in in Allen Arena of players that filed former players that filed in. And these were just Lipscomb players because they had another service at uh, at Northern State where the where the Northern State guys attended. But anyway, the former players got to speak, and man, it, it was it was so heartfelt. Um, but but talking about how tough he was on them, and um, 
Wade Thomason talking about just putting his after practice going home and going to the room and putting his face in the pillow and just screaming and hitting it, playing <laughs> like it was Coach Meyer because he was so hard on it. Yeah. But but now I love. I mean, like Wade had a a little infant son drown in a pool accident and. Coach Meyer drove there to Indiana and kind of nursed him through the grieving process. And, you know, it's just that kind of deal that, yeah, the notebook's important. And the coach would always say, you know, if, if he had a whistle around his neck, he was a coach. If he didn't, then, you know, they would mess around. He'd shoot them with water guns. And yeah. he, he was a practical joker. But, but he, the funny thing, he said he always kept a whistle in his pocket. That way, if they started whipping his butt, he could slip it on his neck, and then they had to treat him like Coach Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, all kinds of ways. But they they knew that he loved them. But, boy, it was tough to play for, but it was worth it because the results were you were one of Coach Meyer's guys. That's right. And and they were successful. You know, it, it the, the plan worked you know everything that they did the the stuff outside of the gym or in the locker room the servant leadership that they were uh, commanded to do from him it, it worked and so when things work like that and someone's extremely tough on you and you know it's coming from love that's pretty sustainable don't you think I mean the, the you can sustain that no matter the type of players you have because it's the type of person that you recruit and and get don't you think oh yeah Sure, it is, and and you know he was great about doing needs assessment. Like at the end of practice, uh, at the end of the game, it's just a one minute needs assessment, and it was so brilliant in the way he did it because it's like, here's what you did well, and and why, and here's what we can do better, and how. That's right. So you know the compliment was to you as a team, but the the improvement was what we have to do and so he was just really great about um deflecting praise and everything was us our we and not any i me mine with him yeah he he eliminated i from his vocabulary it was we sure did you know it was everything was was we and not me and uh Boy, you know the first time I even heard emails, coach even emails from him. He, there was never an I. <laughs> well, I know the first time I heard him, uh, uh, I, I was telling you that at the Kingwood Clinic, uh, we had just we had just got finished uh, speaking there as a staff, and you know, kind of still rushing around. There was no way I could keep up. I could not take notes. It was. So the way that you, I mean, there was just so much stuff and then he'd get off on a tangent and tell a joke and then he'd come back and he'd talk about someone's shoes or, uh, he'd make fun of his, his, uh, you know, he had a name for his, his leg. I can't remember what it was, what it was. Little buddy. Little buddy. Yeah. Little little buddy. Um, but, uh, you know, the way you did it at Eastland, it was so, um, you know, it was it was it was teacher and student, and and we sat there and we could listen and we could take notes and we could uh, ask him questions, and it was just perfect. It was perfect for a coach like me who wanted to be a learn it all, and uh, he was he was unbelievable at sharing his philosophy in a way that was under, understandable to anyone. And one of the best things that he did 
was talk about servant leadership. Can you go ahead and go into a little bit of detail about his servant leadership philosophy and what he believed in as far as servant leadership? Well, you know, he would always say it's based around John 13, Mm -hmm. the 13th chapter of John, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet the night before he was going to be crucified. And there's not a greater example of, of servant leadership than that. And and that Jesus always, you know, he, he says in the Bible that he came to serve, not to be served. And so that was that was Coach's whole thought process was how he could be more like Jesus every day. And a lot of that was just being a servant leader. That's right. It's kind of a, it's kind of antithetical to to popular, you know, common culture now because everything's about. I and uh, you know Kyrie's wanting to trade because he's not happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean you you see it everywhere uh, in society, and so it's really difficult to teach because that's not what what guys are seeing. That's right. Uh, uh, he, uh, you know, one thing that we forget that Jesus also washed Judas's feet. He sure did. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but you know, like example, uh, I was telling you, Coach called. Every week after my diagnosis, not about me, but that was that was planned. He he has a he has a a a prayer list, and and there was a hot list that you know he would pray for you every day of things that were really uh, really vital. Uh, And if if you moved off the hot list, then you, you might pray. You might get two or three a week or whatever. But all that is a built around other people and thinking about other people and he's dying of cancer right I mean he's got inoperable cancer and he's thinking about other people that's right so that's I mean he was he was a living example of servant leadership yeah that is that is great to put it in perspective Uh, what is your favorite uh, Don Meyer, uh, let's go quote first. What is your favorite quote that he uses? Uh, that he used over and over again in clinics or maybe to his players. What is the, the thing that he said that you maybe you can't say it or didn't say it, but you liked when he said it? <laughs> I guess uh, probably the one that, that sticks out the most is your example isn't the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Yeah. That uh, you can't be a fake. It's what you know. What you what you do speaks so loud. I can't hear what you say. So your example is is everything. And kids are watching. They they know that's what that's another thing about forming relationships with your players or your students or whatever is. Um, you got to be real. They know they know fake. There's plenty of fakes around. And yeah. so your example is really 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 important. If you live, if you live like you talk, then They'll notice it, and, and they'll respect you. That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm reading on his website right now, building trust takes time. It's years, not hours or days. And we try to speed that up sometimes, but Coach Meyer did not. He uh, he knew the process. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he was process-oriented before that became, uh, you know, the thing to do, actually. So he was way ahead of his time. Absolutely. One thing that I, I loved, you know, from a basketball standpoint is uh, watching his practice, there was no dead time. Guys were not standing around. And, uh, you know, he was so 
everybody get reps. Everybody, uh, you know, get your touches. Everybody, everybody's improving. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, from what you saw uh, from him as a coach, what what he did that was so great. You know, he and Coach Knight were the best I've ever seen at taking complicated things and making them very simple. Mm -hmm. Um, They could both, in, in like three words, make you see a picture where it would take me five sentences. <laughs> they're, they're brilliant at it. And so um, use, utilizing space, utilizing what you have, like you said, um, everybody, everybody getting reps. Um, you know, he, he wanted one thing done 50 times, not 50 things done one time. Right, because that, he knew that's how you get better. Yeah. Um, the, he was very. He was. Um, he was relentlessly consistent about holding you to a standard. Yeah, no slippage. I mean, just no slippage. He, he was absolutely unrelenting in in holding you to a high standard, and and the standard was our standard. It wasn't. It didn't depend on whether you were playing, you know, the next to last place team in your conference or district or the number three team in the state. It's, our standard is here, and that's where I'm going to hold you to. And that's not easy to do, but that's what the great ones do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so huge, and and that's so tough to to be consistent because everything around us is changing. But uh, our players need to see that consistency and know it to, you know, know what the, what we expect from them. My favorite Don Meyer quote, by the way, is a one bad shot is a bad shot, two bad shots is a bad player, <laughs> and then three bad shots is a bad coach. I love that one, and I, I've been a bad coach. I've been a bad coach a lot. Let's just put it that way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bad I'm a bad coach a lot on that one. Um, you talked about his one minute assessments. That's that's something that I think coaches that are listening can take away, you know, immediately. That's something that we can we can immediately use and it can it can definitely change how we see our our program and our team. Um can you can you just briefly and we're almost done here. I I appreciate you taking the time, but uh just briefly talk about coach Myers um you know, style of uh, of player development. Uh, I, he did a ton of guard post stuff from what I remember, but uh, his player development stuff and then how that, that kind of bled into how they played offense. Yeah, you know, Coach, back in he, – he, he changed styles, but his philosophy never changed. His philosophy is always we want to get great shots and we want to make it really hard for you to get good shots. Yeah. Well, prior to the shot clock, he would make like 40 passes. I mean, they were brutally boring, slow, but effective. I mean, they won. Yeah. They would just, they would run offense and run offense and run offense until you finally broke down. And then they would get a post shot or, or a good, you know, 
a good perimeter shot, whatever they wanted. Um, it, once the shot clock came into play and the three-point line came into play, then then they became very fast-paced, and they still his 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 philosophy didn't change; his style did. Right. But they would get really good shots quickly, and uh, they led the nation in scoring. Averaged over 120 points a game. They won 40 games at Lipscomb. I mean, it's unreal the success they had. Uh, he had two post players in a row that that wound up being the all-time league scorer in college basketball. They were NAI, so you didn't hear about it. But, right. Philip uh, Philip uh, uh, is the he's the AD at Lipscomb now. Um, and then John Pierce broke uh, broke Phillips' record. So, anyway, they played very fundamental, but then you know it got to be fast, but it wasn't any less fundamental. You weren't you, if you turned it over, you're going to get murdered. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you you can go on his website and still I think download the the post and perimeter camp workouts. Yes, now. yes, it is, it is post. Yeah, I'm looking at post-play development, perimeter workouts. It's unbelievable still. I mean, it's effective. You can buy the Lipscomb Fundamental Notebook and get that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, this it, it was very repetition-oriented um, because he was just a teacher at heart, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what he did. So he wasn't in the fluff, but... Um, one thing I loved about those the the post players especially, they had three moves. That was it. Yeah. And they made free throws. They had three moves and they were going to make free throws. And uh, I think it's hard to get guys to buy into that. They want to do everything. No, let's just do three things. You know, Coach Meyer always talked about let's be like the uh, the Russian post player. I have half hook shot. You don't need a <laughs> you don't need a counter, right? I mean, that's what he talked about. Yeah. Uh, so right, you, know, right. you got to have a go-to move and maybe a counter, and that's about it. That's it. Um, kids don't kids don't know who he is, but but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar still the all-time leading scorer as of right now in NBA history, and he had one shot. Yeah, that yeah. Sky hook. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, as far as the guards are concerned, they were going to catch and shoot and and make open threes after dribble penetration or after a post up, and they were going to you know they were going the guards were going to make their free throws. They weren't going to turn the ball over. They were going to set great. They were going to set great screens, and uh, get themselves open because they were great screeners. You know, it was just simple stuff, but they did it so well because he made them do it perfect to his standard every single day. And uh, you know, we try to make it rocket science exactly when it's right. not. Yeah, we do. We 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 try to be way too fancy, way too complicated. And he kept it very simple. I mean, his son Jerry was a, is was a, at one point all time assist leader in college basketball, um, but he wasn't fancy. No, but he got the ball where it needed to be. Uh, Steve Smiley is an assistant coach at uh, Northern Colorado. I think now he played for coach at Northern State. Uh-huh. He was the he was the MVP of their conference one year and and never shot a three. <laughs> He's a point guard. Now, that's hard to convince a kid to do these days, you know, because everybody thinks you got to live and die by the three. But he never shot a three and was the MVP. They won the league, won the, uh, went to the regional tournament, or maybe the national tournament that year. Wow. That's amazing. Now, uh, one of his 
it was I think it was one of his assistant coaches or former players or both was at the Eastland Clinic that last that last one we that you held. And I can't remember who it was, but I know I know someone was there that played for him. Dwayne that, Houston probably for Eastland Abilene Christian. Okay. There yeah. you go. Dwayne was a he was a manager and and then wound up moving up into uh you know, he coached Meyer Collins student assistant coaches and then um, the the year they won the national championship, actually, uh, Dwayne and and another student assistant, they had lost some players due to injury and whatnot, and they wound up getting to suit up and, and actually play. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, Coach Guy, and I, I do appreciate you taking the time and talking about Coach Meyer, and uh, I I know that uh, you know I'm taking a, I'm taking away one of your uh, summer days here. But I, I know it's going to benefit a ton of coaches that didn't know about him or didn't know a lot about Coach Meyer, and we just want to keep his legacy going and and uh, help help coaches become servant leaders like him. And uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about him. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or anything that maybe you wanted to add that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Well, it's uh, I hope that somebody gets – something good out of it because it's always a pleasure to, to talk about Coach Meyer. I, I talked about the the uh, memorial service and Wade Tomlinson talking and, and Wade closed at the end with saying it's our job now to pass on the code because you, you just don't want what he stood for so important and so uh, effective that you don't want it to die out just because he's gone. Um I get to talk to Carmen, his wife. We we still talk regularly, and and uh, she's doing great. Um, continuing to do what they do, right? And you know, it's just everywhere you go. If you were running like Bob Starkey at A and M, he's got a, the blog of hoop thoughts dot hoop thoughts dot blogspot dot com. Uh huh. Go there because it's it's a tre- treasure trove too. But yeah. Starkey was great friends with Coach, and, and so we ran into each other at TABC Clinic and and got to share some stories. And just it, you know, if you if you knew him, it's like it doesn't matter if it's a player from the '70s or a player from you know 2009 or whatever. You're you're a part of a family because he just had that impact on people. So be a, be be mindful, be intentional about the impact that we have as coaches because it's the greatest profession in the world. It's the greatest uh, chance to impact lives in the world. And uh, Coach Meyer was very in, intentional about that, and uh, we need to be as well. Amen. Well, Coach Gallion, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and uh, best of luck this upcoming season. Thank you. All right. Uh, good luck to the Hawks. And, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the chance to talk, Coach. Thanks. Yes, sir. Thank you.